Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Amen. I feel unity here this morning. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. I've been preaching about Christian conduct and through Ephesians 5 and everything that the Lord requires of us to conduct ourselves in a way that attracts His blessing and the goodness of God in our homes. We talk to the roles of men and women and children and in the workplace, how we should conduct ourselves. And remember, this whole series, as we're shifting into spiritual warfare and going through Ephesians chapter 6 and now talking about the armor of God, all of our conduct matters because people are watching us who don't know Jesus and they know that we say we're Christians, so they want to see how we behave and they're determining what they think about Jesus by what they see in us. Now, I don't know about you, but that is always a little bit unnerving to me. Amen. Please don't look at me. Look at Jesus. I'm messed up, flawed, and broken. Uh, He's working on me. I'm like an old building. Amen. Anyone feel like an old building? You creak, you groan. When I hit 50, my body started making some noises, I'm telling you. But they are looking at us, and so to some degree, we need to reflect his goodness and his mercy and his truth in the way we live. And so, here we are in Ephesians 6, we're talking about spiritual warfare and the, the armor of God, and by God's grace, we're going to unpack all of these verses here in the weeks to come, but uh, today we're just going to look at verses 11 through 13, uh, kind of setting up uh, the components of the armor that we're going to go through piece by piece. I'm going to read verse 10 through about 13, and Uh, Let's thank God for the word. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for this study, Lord, that teaches us how to behave so that we can reflect your goodness to a generation that needs to see truth. God, I pray today, Lord God, that you would teach us how to war, how to battle, how to win, how to have victory that comes from Jesus and unpack these verses for us, Lord, to help us not to just hear them, to be hearers only, but to be doers of your word. I ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said... Amen. That was pretty strong for our group we got this morning. Amen. That was, that was a good amen. So Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Last week, that was our verse that we looked at. If you weren't here, go online, get that in you. We are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen. If you're a Christian this morning, yes, we get tired. Yes, we get worn out. Yes, we feel weak. But spiritually, we have no business being weak because the Lord has filled us with his spirit, with purpose, and with the anointing this morning. Amen. So we learn to be strong in the Lord. Now, let's start with our new material. It says here, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand, stand firm, therefore, and I'll stop there. So our, our verses here that we're looking at, Verse 11 through 13, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, the armor of God is not something we put on literally in the sense that you and I are walking around with battle dress on. 
In fact, if you saw a Christian going down the street with a shield and a sword and a breastplate and a helmet, it would, you, you should keep watching because people are going to show up. The armor is not literal in the natural, but it's literal in the spiritual realm. If we could see in the spiritual realm, God's children should have the armor of God on. You know, angels are armored. You know, God gave his angels swords. He didn't expect them to fight the forces of evil and Satan with just, you know, harsh language. He gave them armor and weapons. Hello? You look uncomfortable already. It's going to get more and more fun. But we are to put on spiritual armor in the spiritual realm. It's not literal in the natural, but it's literal in the spiritual realm. Now, wearing the proper clothing for whatever we're doing is the first step to being successful at what we're doing. Amen? If you're going to catch a baseball game, you got to put a catcher's uniform on. You got to have, you know, your mask and your glove and a special and all in the shin protectors and knee savers and all those things. Anybody ever see baseball, heard pitchers, read stories? Yeah. So if you're going to be a catcher, you got to have catcher's equipment on. If you're going to, if you're going to weld something, you need a welding mask, right, Mike? You need the right clothes on. If you show up in, you know, like a catcher's uniform to, to do that sort of work, you're going to get sent home. If you go fishing, you need a pole, you need waders, amen? So what I want you to understand here is that we all do certain things and we show up dressed properly for those things so that we can be successful at doing them. To be successful on the spiritual battlefield, we have got to have the armor of God on. If we had a soldier here this morning, they, they would, and they were headed for the battlefield, they wouldn't have their dress uniform on, they'd have their battle uniform on, they'd have their, all their gear specked out and tacked out, and they'd have armor plates in front of them and behind them, they'd have a Kevlar helmet, they'd have communications, all these things decked out for battle. We understand this in the natural. We wouldn't see, you know, someone going to war, you know, with a fishing pole and waders. They would be in their proper uniform. You and I need to be properly dressed to be successful. Now, in the verses ahead, we're going to unpack each component of the armor piece by piece, God willing. If we're here, we're going to do that. But until we do that, I want you to get four points out of these verses 11 through 13. And the first point is uh, that we're going to grab here this morning is this. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God. And I want you to say the word full. Put on the full armor of God. The first thing I want you to know about the armor of God is that it works together as a system. We need to put not the pieces on that we like, or not the pieces that are comfortable to us, or not just the pieces that, you know, we know how to use, but God is telling us we need to put the full armor on every component, and then he lists those components and shows how they work together in concert. Listen, we need to learn to wear and to wield all of the armor of God so that it can work efficiently and effectively. If we go out there half-armored, we got half a chance of surviving the battle. We've got to go out there full armor. And, and if we're missing components, and then when we get to these components, we're going to talk about them. I'll give you, you know, some insights here today. But we need to learn to wear, wear it all and wield it all. 
Now you say, well, how does that work that, you know, maybe I, I have some components but not others? But some people might say, well, I know the gospel, so I have the, you know, I have the, the gospel here, but I don't know the rightful place of God's word in my life. I, I, I obey bits and pieces of it. So that leaves a chink in our armor. Well, I believe some of the truths of the Bible, but you know what? I haven't really trusted Jesus to be my righteousness. I'm tr- still trying to earn my salvation. What's that? That's a missing piece of armor. That's a chink in your armor. That's an exposure to the enemy. Are you getting this here today? How does it work? Well, I can discern spiritual attacks, and I know when I'm under attack, but I've never learned to develop my faith enough to use the shield of faith to stop the attack, and and I get hit with all the arrows. Are you getting this here today? It's the full armor of God. It's every component. It's learning to use them together in concert. It's having the right battle dress on. So what? There are no chinks in our armor. We've heard about that before. You know, a soldier goes out into the, uh, the battlefield in medieval times, and he has one place in his armor. Knights would have certain little exposures where maybe just under the armpit, there was one place where you could get a strike in, and guess where the sword would find its mark? So us having holes in our armor or missing components of it leaves us exposed on the battlefield. That's why God says it's got to be the full armor. Now, we're going to find that the belt of truth and the shoes of peace and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit are all equally vital. And they must be used together if they're going to protect us from the enemy. Amen. So this morning, if you know you got holes in your game, The Holy Spirit's going to teach us how to tighten up our game, amen? If you know there's certain things, man, I don't know enough of the word, or uh, my faith falls apart every time the enemy says, boo, I run away. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants to teach us to train our fingers to fight, amen, because the battle is the Lord's, but we are his servants, and he wants us armored up today so the devil can't take advantage of us. The best way to become a casualty on the spiritual battlefield is to go out there with the wrong attire, without the right gear, and without the right training. And that's what these verses are all about, to get us dressed correctly, to give us the right gear, and then to train us so that we can find the victory on the battlefield of life. Now, thank God that the battle is the Lord's. And I want to say this before I jump into the next point. You might think, man, I got to put all this stuff on and I got to know the word and I got to have the seal of faith and I got to protect my mind and I got to, you know, all this stuff. And, and all of a sudden, we can start thinking, man, the battle, it's on me. I got to learn how to fight. I got to learn how to win. The battle is the Lord's. The victory belongs to Jesus. He won the battle on the cross when he said it is finished and he rose again on the third day. He broke the power of sin and he defeated the enemy. The Bible says he made a display. Give him clap, it's okay. He made a display of him, a show of him openly. So yes, we're to put on the armor. Yes, we're to learn how to fight, but the battle is the Lord's. And that's good news today because you know what? None of us would have survived this long if the battle was ours. The battle is the Lord's, and he wants us to put on the full armor of God so the enemy can't take advantage of us. Second point I want to bring out of this, uh, these texts, this also in verse 11, it says, put on the full armor of God, and then it continues, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. 
So what that is telling us here is that we've got to stand. We've, we've got to stand in the battle. But it's giving us some insight into our enemy. And the first thing that it tells us is that our enemy is a schemer. Let me see something here this morning. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled off is to convince people he's not real. Because an unseen enemy or one that you doesn't, don't think exists who is conducting warfare against you has every advantage over you. Our world doesn't, oh, the devil, Christians talk about the devil, and they think, you know, they believe in imaginary God, and then they believe in an imaginary enemy. They're crazy. Well, it might seem crazy to a world that doesn't know Jesus, but those of us who are filled with the Holy Spirit and belong to Christ, we know we have an adversary out there, the devil, who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Us pretending we don't have an enemy doesn't make us any more safe on the battlefield. So it says here that, you know, our enemy is a, is a schemer and that we have to stand against him. One thing I want to say about this point is that we need to know our enemy. That's the first thing I want to say. If you talk to any famous generals or any military tacticians or if you study history and the history of warfare, every good general that found success on the battlefield will tell you this, you have got to know your enemy. If you don't know your enemy, you have a very slim chance of beating him. Every good general throughout history will tell you these two things. You've got to know your enemy, and you should never underestimate your enemy. Too many of us underestimate the enemy, and he exploits us for it. Too many of us don't put on the full armor of God, and when we get attacked, we don't survive, and our faith takes hits, and our emotions take hits, and we're beat up, and we're weary, and we're a casualty on the battlefield. We need to know our enemy. And listen, I'm not telling you that we need to be devil conscious or devil focused. We need to know Jesus, amen. We need to be uh, under the hand of God and, and falling in love with Jesus every day. Anybody falling in love with Jesus every day in his presence? Amen. But we still need to know our enemy. And the first thing the enemy, uh, it says about here, our enemy, is that he is a schemer. Have you ever met someone who was a schemer? Maybe you had a kid, maybe when your children were little, some of them were schemers. No, you could, come on, mom, you could just look at them and like, what are you up to? You know, we, we just would look guilty all the time, you know. What do you do? My mom would just look at me, what are you doing? What did you break? Our enemy is a schemer. What does that mean? That means he is plotting and planning against you and I. He's scheming, he's plotting, he's planning. One of the main things that the devil does is he, the Bible says he's an accuser of the brethren. Gucci, all he does is he goes before God and he says, you know, hey God, look at Rick, man, he's a joke. You, you're gonna put up with this guy or like, you know, look at this guy over here. He, he accuses us before the Lord. That's what he did with Job. And he said to God, yeah, Job, you got Job all protected, God, but if you remove that protection from him, I'll, 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 I'll make him come undone and he'll curse you to your face. And God said, go for it. And we know what happened with Job. Not an easy situation, but Job maintained his integrity and he proved that his allegiance to God was more than his allegiance to the pleasures and the privileges of life. I understand this. Our enemy is an accuser. He is a plotter. He is a planner. And he is a schemer. Let me flesh out 
what it means to be a schemer to a little degree. I want to just give you some insight into the enemy and how he conducts spiritual warfare. Now, for decades, I've learned to fight, and I've learned to stand in the gap, and I've learned to resist the devil, and I've learned to find victory. But there are always times in my life and in yours where he blindsides me, and all of a sudden, I feel like I'm starting from scratch. And I've got to, once again, understand my enemy. He's a schemer. What does a schemer do? The devil studies you and I. He's watching you. He's probing you. He's tempting you. That person in the office that flirted with you, he watched how you responded to that. That woman that was a little bit too friendly with you, he, he noticed how you handled that situation. That person who was throwing the compliments around. Or when you were alone and nobody was watching, how did you handle your, the money? How did you handle the finances? Did you have integrity? Were you the same in, in secret as you were in public? He's watching. He's studying. He is looking at us, and he is doing that for this reason. Because our enemy attacks us in the areas where he's found weaknesses in us. Why is he looking at me? Why is he studying Rick? Why is he noticing my patterns? Why is he seeing how I respond to certain situations? Because he's looking for a weakness in me, and he's looking for a weakness in you, and he's smart. He attacks us where we're weak, not where we're strong. That's why we need the full armor. That's why we can't say, well, I really know the word, but, you know, my faith is shaky. Or I got a handle on truth, but, you know, I'm still struggling with this salvation thing. You see, He's looking for the weakness. They have an old expression in football. Don't hit a guy where he could bench press 315. Hit him where he can't do a sit-up. Hello? So the enemy understands that he looks for our weaknesses and he exploits them. And when he finds a weakness in us, he hits us over and over again. If you ever watch a boxer, if he lands a body punch and he hits the liver, he will hit that liver over and over and over again till his opponent goes down. You say, well, that's mean. Yeah, it is mean. If you've ever gotten hit in the liver, it'll make you question if you want to live or not. And understand this, the devil doesn't play fair. He's not nice. He is mean. He's going to find the weakness, and he's going to hit it, and he's going to hit it, and he's going to hit it over and over again till we go down. He's watching. He's studying. He attacks us where we're weak, and he waits for the perfect situation and opportunity to ambush us. Why did he probe us? Why did he test us? Why did he note our reaction? Because he's looking for the weakness, and when he finds it, he sets us up for the kill. Child of God, you and I need the armor. You and I need to stay close to Jesus. You and I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because our enemy is not playing. He's playing for keeps. He doesn't want to just annoy you. He wants to destroy your faith. He knows he can't get God to quit on you, but he's gotten many people to quit on God and to walk away. So he's a schemer. And I hope you understand how he schemes and what he does. And I hope you'll never forget that he's studying you. He's probing you. He's looking for weakness in you. And he's planning to attack you. What else do I want you to know about the enemy today? We need to know our enemy like a good general. The second thing I want you to know is that he understands how to use sin against us. You see, the enemy has always used sin against the people of God and against the lost. Why? Because he has a legal right 
where there is sin and there is compromise, the enemy has a legal right to attack us at those points. He understands the sin nature, and he understands how we struggle against it. Genesis 4-7 gives us some real insight into the sin nature. And if you were here on Wednesday, I talked about Cain and Abel while we were studying through the book of Hebrews. And Genesis 4-7 uh, tells us uh, about this situation with Cain and Abel. Remember, they brought offerings to the Lord. God didn't, re he, he rejected Cain's offering. He accepted Abel's. Cain got angry and he killed his brother. We have the first murder in scripture. This is what God says to Cain in response to him uh, bringing a poor offering to the Lord in Genesis 4-7. Listen to what God says because it applies to all humanity throughout the generations. If you do what is right, Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. That little excerpt there where God is addressing Cain gives us great insight into the nature of sin. Our enemy knows all about this, and he knows how to use it against us. Notice, it's about doing what's right or choosing not to do what's right. And sin is crouching at our door. I want you to get that image in your head. You know, we walk uh, throughout the day and we don't realize our enemy is scheming and he, he's trying to ambush us and he's setting us up. And sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, God rejected Abel's offering. Why? God never asked them for an offering. They decided to bring one. Abel, uh, uh, Cain actually initiated the offering, and he went first. He was the oldest. So he, here comes Cain with his offering, and he approaches God on his own terms. He gives something that cost him very little, if nothing, and he went to God with his offering with a wrong heart. So God looks at that, and he's like, he calls him out on his sloppy offering. And he's like, Cain, you know, you brought me some of the vegetables here. You didn't even bring your first fruits. You didn't honor me for who I was. You know, you, you had the wrong heart when you came. And he calls him out. What's Cain's response? He gets angry, and he puts a face on. God warns Cain, and the warning applies to all mankind. If you do what's right, you're going to be accepted. Cain, you know what the right thing to do is. You know you got an attitude. You already got a face on. You know, when I was little, if you got punished and you had to take your punishment, and if you had a face on, they would say to you, what's that face about? You know, my grandfather said, well, you got a puss on. And if you didn't straighten out your attitude, you got in more trouble. Cain had an attitude. God's correcting him here. He knows he's wrong. He says, Cain, if you do what's right, all of this goes away, and you'll be accepted, and we'll have fellowship. But if you continue to want to do what you want to do your way and have an attitude, sin is crouching at the door. It desires you, but, and it's going to ambush you. You need to straighten out your attitude. Do what's right, and you'll be accepted. Do what's wrong, and sin will devour you. We will either overcome sin by the blood of the Lamb and our relationship with Jesus Christ, or sin will overcome us. And the devil knows that. So he gets us to rebel against God. He gets us to approach God in our own way. He gets us to have an attitude against God. How many times have you seen the way God does things? And, and let's just be honest, we don't like the way God does things sometimes. 
We get an attitude. I don't like that Christians get sick with COVID. I don't like that saints die of diseases. I, I, God, you know, why don't you do it this way, God? And we can get an attitude towards God. I don't like being locked down. I don't like being shut down. Come on. And what, do we, and what, do we, what is the devil whispering there? God's not being faithful to you. You thought he'd protect you, but he didn't. What else? Is he going to let you down about? Come on. This is the way the devil whispers. And he uses sin. What did he say to Eve? He said to her, maybe you'll die. Maybe you won't. God just doesn't want you to be like him. He's trying to hold you back. Wow. He understands sin. He understands the sin nature. He's a schemer. And we need to know our enemy. And we need to have the armor on because he is scheming against us right now and planning an attack to hurt us, and we need to be prepared for it. The third thing I want to pull out of the verses here is this. Those two are intriguing, but let's continue with verse 12. It says here, for our struggle or our battle is not against flesh and blood. Now, the point is that we are in a spiritual fight here. It's not a physical fight. Uh, there are many times where I wish that we could fight the enemy in the physical realm. How about you? Anybody? Because it's much easier. It's much easier to contend in that realm. We get it. We understand, you know, we understand how to, how to fight and how to war and how to use our mouths and how to use our bodies in physical ways. But in the spiritual realm, a lot of us feel like fish out of water. Can I, can I get an amen? And God says, once you learn to use the armor, once you learn to put it on, once you learn to wield it and to wear it, and it becomes comfortable for you, you'll be able to fight in the spiritual realm. But we've got to go through the uncomfortable phase of being, you know, out of our element before we can actually fight back and defend what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. Now, our enemy uses people to fight against us. Anybody ever have any problems with people? Right? Like when I, when I have issues and, and things going on in my life, I have yet to have the devil show up in a red leotard with a pitchfork. You know, like I walk around the corner and he's like, ha-ha, I'm here to oppose you. No, it's always a people. It's a person. Now, there's been times where I could see him back there in his leotard behind the person. Like, well, I see you. But it's always a person. He uses people. Now, understand this. The, if we fight against people, we will never overcome the enemy. Well, you know, I just, I fight with people, Pastor. That's my ministry all day long. I argue with them online, and I give them a piece of my mind, and I really set them straight. You know, I'm a keyboard warrior for Jesus, and I just, you know, I fight with people. Really, how many people have you really impacted? How many minds have you changed? How many, you know, we're all giving pieces of our mind away. I'm 51. I don't have any pieces to spare. I'm keeping all I got left. But if you fight with people all the time, you will never overcome the enemy. In fact, yes, there are evil people. Yes, uh, they're used by the enemy. But what's behind them, what's behind the people are demonic forces. So fighting against people just becomes a huge distraction and a trap for us. And here's why. Because the enemy has no shortage of people he could use against us. 
Come on. And, and here's how it works. You know, we, we have an issue. Let's say, you know, we're insecure and rude people or disrespectful people really trigger us. Anybody, anybody get triggered by rude people? You know, I come from an Italian background, respect. We don't talk. And the way, the way people talk to you can just set you off. So what happens if you got this issue? Well, you know, don't be rude to me. Or don't be disrespectful to me. The, the enemy is going to send you a parade of rude, disrespectful people all day long. Where do they come from? Is he manufacturing them? You know, I want to turn them over and see if they got made in China stamped on them somewhere. But they just, they just come one after another. Or how about if you, you have anger issues or explosive anger? Uh, don't you think the enemy's going to bring a parade of people in front of you on the highway, in the store? I mean, have you ever just been out there? It's one after another. <laughs> Why is that? Because he has no shortage of people to use against us, to trigger us in areas where we need to get the armor on. So if you and I are going to fight against people, it, you know, if we're people pleasers, if we have issues with anger, or if we can't handle disrespect, or whatever our trigger is, fighting against people is a losing strategy, and it will eventually overwhelm and exhaust the best of us. Here's what wisdom dictates we do instead of fighting against people. Two things. Number one, we've got to let God heal our weaknesses. You say, what's that all about? It's about removing the triggers. Well, I got an anger issue. Well, I'm going to bring it to the Holy Spirit, and I want to let him heal my anger issue. So the next time the enemy comes to try and push that button, the button has been disconnected. Anybody? <laughs> some people are happy about it. Some people say, leave my buttons alone. So... You know, I have an issue with rude people. And then you bring that before the Lord, and he, he, he works humility into us, and he helps us to get free. So when we bring our issues before the Lord and we say, God, deal with me so that I'm not triggered, then the endless parade of people that the enemy sends has no more effect on us. Come on, those of you who know, you've been delivered of things, man. You, you used to be, I, I, I talk to some people, man, you know, before I was a Christian, I this and that, and that but I'm delivered, and, and it doesn't have any effect anymore. It's a, have you ever had people in your life that like to push your buttons? I, I had a friend who liked to pick scabs and push buttons. What a great friend, huh? And I remember just getting healed of something where it didn't bother me anymore, and he'd push the button, and nothing would happen. And I'd love to see the look on his face. He was all disappointed. What, what happens when the buttons are disconnected? What happens when we're healed? What happens when, you know, we're delivered, when we come before the Lord, and now we've minimized our triggers, and we've eliminated those weaknesses, and we've said, God, deal with my insecurity. Deal with my pride. Father, deliver me from lust from anger, from the desire to please men. And the Holy Spirit does that in us, and it minimizes our exposure to the attack of the enemy. Wisdom dictates we allow God to heal our weaknesses. Number two, wisdom dictates that we start attacking the roots instead of the leaves. If you have a tree in your yard and the roots are all in your septic system or around your pipes and it's messing up or it's leaning over your house and it's ruining your roof, you need to remove that tree. And listen, if you decide to remove that tree by picking every leaf off it, 
you're going to be there a long time and the tree ain't going anywhere. And you say, come on, pastor, that's stupid. Could you imagine giant maple tree? I'm going to pick every leaf off it and that's going to stop the tree. No, if you and I want to get rid of the tree, we've got to lay the ax at the roots. We got to get the roots out. We got to disconnect the tree from its source. Why? Because if we don't disconnect the tree from the source, the leaves are going to keep growing. What's the point of this illustration? I'm so glad you asked. The point is this, if you and I are fighting with people constantly, if you and I are focused on people, well, I got to get this one and my, you know, that, that neighbor of mine and my in-laws and that person from high school and that knucklehead on, and all we're doing is picking the leaves off the tree. We're picking the leaves off the tree and we're going to wear ourselves out and we're not going to have any success. But when we learn to lay the ax at the root of the tree, that's when we stop the leaves and we can get the tree removed from our lives. And the thing that we have to understand is what's at the root of the issue. It's not people. We can fight with people all our lives and never defeat the enemy. What's at the root of the issue is described in the latter half of verse 12. It says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not people, but against rulers and against powers, against the world forces of this darkness against spiritual wickedness in high places, the King James says. It's a spiritual fight. So you and I need to take the fight to the enemy and lay the ax at the root. How do we do that? In, in warfare, we let the Holy Spirit reveal to us the spirits that are behind the attacks that are coming against us. Are, 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 you, are you following me here today? We need to get in the place of prayer. We're under attack. Lord, what is this? The Holy Spirit's gonna show us how to play, pray. We need to pray against, not against people. God, straighten out my neighbor, straighten out my relative, straighten out. No, we need to pray against the, the forces of darkness and spiritual wickedness. Jesus said, whatsoever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, amen? Jesus took the enemy and he made a display of him openly, triumphing over him in it. What? The cross has broken the power of the enemy in our lives. So you and I need to learn how to fight spiritually. Come on. I feel like I'm selling pork chops to rabbis in here. Well, I don't want to fight. Can I have somebody else fight for me? Can I call in? Can I get some, can I get some mercenaries to do it for me? Can you come over, Pastor? You got to fight. Our own spiritual battles, God, God's teaching us we need to put the armor on. Well, I'll hide behind you. You put the armor on. No, God wants to teach you to fight and to overcome. And you and I need to learn what's behind it. What's behind, you know, that family member that constantly attacks you? What's behind that coworker that's just rude and disrespectful or maybe inappropriate with you? What's behind that? Learn what's behind that. Listen, I've dealt with people for decades that were a thorn in my you-know-what. And I remember Gucci one time in prayer doing warfare at like three in the morning, I couldn't sleep, just on my knees fighting and something, boom, broke in the spiritual realm. And that person withdrew themselves from me and has not bothered me since. And the Lord showed me, it's not, you know, well, you, I'm just going to tell them off. I'll just tell them how it is. Man, what a waste of time. Nothing changed until something broke in the spiritual realm, until I got, I said, I'm sick of this. I'm not getting off my knees. I don't care what time it is until we settle this and doing warfare in that place. And then the Holy Spirit breaking the power. And then that person had no more power to afflict me anymore. Wow. Teach us 
to fight, Lord. Teach us to discern. Teach us to put on the full armor and to lay the ax at the root because we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. The forces of the enemy must be exposed. They must be confronted and they must be bound. Whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. You and I have spiritual authority. We have the power to tread on serpents and scorpions, amen? God has given us that authority. We need to learn to use it with the full armor on. I have one more point for you this morning, and it's this. We must stand against evil. Now, many Christians don't want anything to do with evil. They don't want anything to do with the darkness of the day. They, they don't want to speak to social issues or cultural issues or political issues. They just want to fade into the background and just fly below the radar. But the truth is, God expects us to do much more than that. Verse 13 says, therefore, take up the full armor of God. So what? So you can hide in your basement? No, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, we are called to stand. So understand, God is not asking the church to ignore evil, to hide from evil, to pretend evil is not there. God is not asking people, you know, to, just to, to stay away from that stuff and see how it pans out. No, you and I are called to stand against the evil of our day. Every generation has had to do it, whether it was the, the new church and Peter and, and the apostles and all of them, they all stood against it, whether it was Rome or whether it was Nazi Germany or whether, you know, it's in the situations we are in in the world now where secular humanism and, and godlessness want, wants to take hold of the earth and silence Christianity. You and I need to stand up against the evil of our day. God expects nothing less from our generation. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who stood against the evil of the Nazis during World War II. And he had this to say about how Christians resist the evil of our day. Listen, we get it. You know, in that time, it was obvious the evil of a, a, a generation of people that decided to exterminate the Jews in all the World War II. What a horrible time. Yet the pulpits in Germany, most of them were silent against the evil of the Nazis. And the ones who were silent were murdered or taken away into captivity. Bonhoeffer stood against the evil of his day, and he said this, Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. In the end, at his most dire moment, his disciples all deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this cause he had come, to bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian, too, belongs not to seclusion or to the cloistered life, but in the thick of his foes. You and I don't belong hiding. We don't belong silent. We don't belong cloistered. We belong in the thick of our foes. You say, Pastor, how in the world do we walk amongst the thick of our foes? It's nasty out there. It's ugly out there. They have no tolerance for us. They attack us uh, spiritually and verbally and now physically. We need to put the armor on. 
Because when we're fully armored and we're fully protected and we're full of the Holy Spirit, we can walk through our enemies like Jesus did in his day. Jesus walked through his enemies until his time came. There were many times the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted to grab him and kill him. There was times they picked up rocks. And what did the Bible say? He just slipped through them because his time had not yet come. You and I need to learn to walk in the midst of our enemies in this generation, to preach the truth in love in a dark world, to stand against the evil of our day, and to do it, we're going to need to put the full armor of God on. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I thank you for a message such as this at a time like this. Father, when we see much darkness around us, when we're in situations where there's oppression and there's demonic attacks in the physical realm, people dealing with sickness, in the spiritual realm, people dealing with faithlessness, in the political realm, people dealing with all kinds of turmoil and fraud. Father, I pray today that you would rise up your people in this moment to stand against the evil of our day to preach the truth in love, to stand against the wickedness of men, to stand against godlessness, to against abortion and immorality. Father, help us to not hide, to not be cloistered, but as Bonhoeffer said, to walk amongst our foes as Jesus did. Father, in our own strength, we know this is impossible, so we ask for you to teach us. And as we go through the each implement, each part of the battle dress that you have designed for us to wear, that you would show us how to wear it and how to wield it, that we would have no weakness in us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.